0: It may seem rather premature, but already headlines are appearing announcing the result of the Taiwan presidential election in January 2016. Taiwan will have a female president. At that time, current Kuomintang president Ma Ying-jeou completes his two elected terms. The opposition Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, long ago announced that party leader Tsai Ing-wen, who ran unsuccessfully against Ma in the 2012 presidential election, will again be their candidate. So do these current headlines mean that she is already regarded as a certain victor this time around? Hmm, Hardly. Yet the headline is justified by the fact that three Kuomintang heavyweights have all withdrawn from running as candidates in the presidential election, and the deputy speaker of the Legislative Yuan, Miss Hung Hsu chu now seems certain to be nominated as the KMT presidential candidate when the KMT Party Congress meets on July the 19th. Thus, ten months before Hillary Rodham Clinton can conceivably become the first female president of the United States, either Ms. Tsai or Ms. Hung will become the first female president in Taiwan. Gender will not be an issue. Initially, Ms. Tsai appears to be the odds-on favorite because of one surprising development three Kuomintang heavyweights all withdrew from their expected candidacies. They were current Vice President Wu Denyi, who was elected in 2012 with 51.5% of the total vote, the Speaker of the Yuan, the wily wheelier dealer Wang Jingping, who's also Miss Hung's boss, and the man who replaced Ma ying as KMT chairman Eric Chu, the current mayor of New Taipei City. All three were widely expected to make a one for the 2016 presidency, but all three have declined to do so. Miss Hung was among those expecting the three to run. I've never been named as a presidential hopeful, she reportedly admitted on television. People say I cannot compete with other KMT heavyweights in terms of connections or money, and they're right. At first sight, it's puzzling that neither Wu nor Wang particularly has chosen to seek the nomination and participate in the presidential election. Ironically, Miss Hung also said that she only registered as a candidate in order to prompt the KMT heavyweights to run, adding, maybe they just could not swallow their pride to compete with me. Now, barring a very belated and divisive campaign by one of these heavyweights, which seems possible but unlikely, she is the KMT candidate. At this point, I have to stop. Stop. Such a campaign to replace Ms. Hung may eventuate. Reports are circulating that Ms. Hung favours a leftist vision of integration with China, normally only heard in Beijing, which could easily spell electoral catastrophe, the Kuomintang. An iron rule of reflections from Asia is never to go off half-cocked on grave controversies. Check carefully first. This is one such controversy. You can be sure I'll be reporting on Miss Hung's views in greater detail before long. Already she is being asked if she believes in Taiwan's reunification with China. So I've got to carefully sort out precisely what her views are. Meanwhile, here is a shortened reprise of my reflections on the last Taiwan presidential election, which also throws some light on the current situation. First and last, the Taiwan presidential and parliamentary election on January the 14th, 2012 strengthened the institution of democracy not only within Taiwan itself, but also in largely unseen ways within East and Southeast Asia. The strengthening of Taiwan democracy was indirectly, but vividly illustrated within Central Asia as long-ruling Kazakhstan president, Nursultan Nazarbayev, held one more, quote, election, unquote, which was nothing more than a ratification of his authoritarian regime. My new token opposition was allowed to win a toehold in the Kazakh parliament, as ordered by Nazarbayev himself. But his Nur- Utan Party, was still one near total control, winning 81% of the votes instead of 88% as in the last election. Now, it's too easy to forget that Kazakhstan today is how it used to be in Taiwan under the Kuomintang authoritarianism, long practiced by President Chiang Kai-shek and initially practiced under his son, President Chiang Ching-kuo. Today, it's a very different story. On January 14, 2012, 13.4 million Taiwanese, a turnout of 74.38%, freely voted in 14,806 polling stations between 9am and 4pm. The votes were then speedily counted with the presidential result becoming available within four hours and with all votes being counted within seven hours. That quick count was carefully checked by the Taiwan Election Commission. Apart from a few scattered complaints, there were no allegations of substantial vote-rigging as there probably would have been in the bad old days. There were only three caveats to this otherwise efficient voting process. First, the voting hours could have been longer. In most democracies, there would have been demands to keep the ballot going on until later. Second, the choice of election dates so close to the Chinese New Year and nearly four months before President Ma Ying-jeou would take the oath of office in May for his second term seemed at least questionable. Third, there is the Taiwanese restriction which requires voters to only vote in the constituency wherein they are registered plus the complete absence of any provision at all for absentee voting, either from within Taiwan or from abroad it seems like an unjustifiable hangover from former KMT authoritarianism. In several ways, Maher's inability to repeat his landslide victory in the 2008 presidential election was the most significant aspect of his re-election. Just imagine what could have happened if he had defeated Tsai Ing-wen by the same massive 16.9% margin that he had achieved against DPP candidate Frank Shea in the 2008 presidential election. Had that happened, many members of the Kuomintang would have complacently assumed that they had restored the status quo ante, indefinite control of political power, perhaps coupled with some degree of renewed authoritarianism. Zhou would almost certainly have assumed that he was free to pursue his dream of reaching and signing a peace agreement with Beijing. The DPP, still depressed by the disgrace of their former president, Chen Shui-bian, could have been utterly demoralized by the second consecutive major defeat the party would probably have descended into bitter factional conflict. The extremist wing would have asserted, we told you so, with some of them resorting to violent protest, thereby further stimulating the KMT's authoritarian drift. This was, of course, only a possible worst-case scenario, but it didn't happen that way. Instead, democracy reasserted itself. There have been many strands in this process, but essentially, both President Ma ying and the new DPP leader, Tsai Ing-wen, had to grapple with the intensely negative legacy of former President Chen Shui-bien, who is now serving a 17-and-a-half-year sentence for abuse of power and corruption. It would be hard to exaggerate Chen's devastating impact upon the DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party, of which he had been one of the founders. Chen had taken the party to the heights of twice attaining presidential political power, but left it in the depths of despair for its future. Party members could, of course, dismiss his trial and long sentence as the Kuomintang getting even for the past defeats, but they knew that there was no excusing Chen's irresponsibility while he enjoyed the privilege of high office. Intensified factionalism and sustained bickering beckoned when, almost in desperation, the DPP turned to a former top aide of former President Li Wei, signing Wen, in the hope that she could turn things around. She did. As the DPP started to win occasional parliamentary by-elections, it seemed to be on its way back. So much so that the hope was born that under Xi's leadership, the DPP could even make sufficient electoral gains in central northern Taiwan to deprive Ma Ying-jeou of re election Meanwhile, President Ma had to battle the legacy of Chen's irresponsibility on the external front as he failed to make a necessary distinction between preserving Taiwan's sovereignty and asserting it. By constantly harping on the remote possibility of independence, Chen needlessly weakened Taiwan's potentially precarious position, sandwiched in between Beijing's passionate demand for China's reunification and the United States' residual but diminishing concern for its strategic position in East Asia and its obligation to defend Taiwan against any Chinese aggression. But Chen's positive legacy was to awaken Taiwan and foreign friends to the fact that Taiwan's separate existence had to be maintained. And President Ma bolstered this complex objective with his carefully enunciated 3 no's policy. No unification, no independence, no use of force. It is often forgotten that the defense of the status quo was as much aimed at Taiwan voters seeking to diminish lingering voter suspicions of a KMT sellout to the mainland as it was directed at China and the United States. Chinese President Hu Jintao responded by reducing reunification rhetoric and responding to the Kuomintang's desire for strengthened economic ties across the Taiwan Straits. So much so that the KMT began to complacently assume that Ma was a shoo-in for re-election to the presidency and could easily deprive the DPP of a comeback. This, then, was the broad background to one of the crucial moments, perhaps THE crucial moment, in the fifth Taiwan presidential election campaign. In October, just as the campaign was reaching its intensive final phase, out of the blue, President Ma talked airily about his hope to sign a peace agreement with China during his last term. Precisely why he said this remains a mystery. Perhaps complacency got the better of him. Perhaps the success of his three-nose policies and his pursuit of improved economic ties went to his head. Perhaps China's emissaries had quietly pressured for this concession. Whatever it was, it was obvious that Ma had misspoken almost as soon as he said it. What kind of agreement was he aiming at? How could he sign it when China still refuses to recognize that he is the president of the other China? Even in the Kuomintang, there was disquiet. Quickly, Ma withdrew the peace agreement promise almost as soon as he uttered it. Almost certainly any hopes Ma had of a second landslide died right there. But Tsai's hopes of unseating Ma and becoming president may have died too. Anxious not to be seen as another Chen, Tsai declined to hammer away ceaselessly at this one issue, as Chen Shui-bian would have done. Instead, she stuck to her original plan to play down the external China-related issue and concentrate much more on domestic issues. The end result was that Ma and Tsai produced a balanced result. Ma was re-elected president, but his majority was reduced from 17% to only 6%. Tsai resigned as DPP leader for failing to win the presidency, but substantially increased both the DPP vote and its percentage of the poll. In the Taiwan Parliament, the KMT lost 17 of the seats it gained in the last election in 2008, while the DPP gained 13. Perhaps most interesting of all, in the vote for 34 parliamentary seats at large, when voters choose a political party, not a person, the Kuomintang won 47.6% and 16 seats, while the DPP and its ally, the Taiwan Solidarity Union, the TSU, together won 46.6% and 16 seats. So, perhaps the most significant achievement of the 2012 Taiwan presidential and parliamentary election was that a two party system was more securely institutionalized. Democracy in Taiwan and in the region has been stronger as a result.